God, thank you so much for being faithful, for being good to us when we don't deserve it, Lord, for meeting with us um, here now. God, thank you for the privilege and the freedom um, to come and to worship you, Lord, and to sing about your faithfulness. God, thank you for um, each person who's here, Lord, you knew um, before the foundations of time that on this day we would be here at this hour um, and talking about stewarding our time well, Lord, and I pray that right now you would just close us in, um, God, that you would remove anything that's between us and you, that we would hear clearly from you and see clearly what it is that you um, want to say to us and show to us in your word today. In your name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Like James said, we are in the middle of our um, stewardship series, and so far we've talked about being a good steward of our talents, we've talked about being good stewards of our ministry, and also about how to be a good steward of our stuff. Um, This morning, uh, we're going to be talking about how to be good stewards of our time, which actually proved more difficult to me than I originally thought that it would be when I sat down to try to put together this message and to read and to study and write. Because every time I would go to do that, I was quickly reminded that I have a three-year-old and an 11-month-old at home that consume most of my time right now. And so um, this, this is especially applicable to me this morning um, in a message that I'm preaching to myself as much as um, to you all also about how that we can steward our time well. Remember, um, stewardship is understanding that we are not owners of anything, but that we are simply managers um, with the responsibility of managing the assets of God according to his will and for his glory. Any college football fans in here? Anybody watch any games yesterday? (laughs) I'm actually not that big of a college football fan, but somehow found myself um, in a room with college football playing and, uh, you know, wasn't really paying a ton of attention. It was just kind of, you know, it was background noise. And one of the spectators started talking about the game that was on, and it, it was apparently a pretty big game. Um, both schools were 1-0. They were big rivals. So this was like, this was it. This was, you know, for them, this is probably one of the biggest games of their season. And I started listening a little bit more because he said some stuff that piqued my interest. And he, he said one line, one statement, and I was like, that's it. If this, this message had a, a, a name, um, a topic, something that's centered around, he, he said it. This college football spectator just laid it out as simple as can be. And this is what he said um, in the middle of one of the big plays. He said, every moment matters. Every second counts. And I was like, man, that's it. That's what we're talking about today. Every moment matters. Every second counts. And he started talking about all the preparation that both of these teams um, have put into uh, behind the scenes, you know, the workings of football before they all show up um, on game day for this big game. And I was like, wow, that's, that's it. It's about those middle moments, the time nobody sees, the stuff that's not televised, you know, with um, thousands of fans in a stadium to see. It's those middle minutes leading up. It's all the preparation leading up to the big moment that matter as much as the big game. Because if you don't put in the time before and you show up, I mean, you know if you're an athlete, it doesn't always go so well. Um, So it all matters. It all matters. Time is a gift. That's not news to anybody in here. We would all probably agree with that. Um, It's one of the most precious things this side of eternity. One of the most valuable resources, if not the most valuable resource that we have. Um, And one of the only things that you can't get back once it's gone. Time flies. You know when you're a kid, and a lot of you are in here that are in school still, it takes forever 
to grow up, to become an adult, and you're just, you know, wishing for those days to come. And high school, I can remember feeling like it was so slow, like the days just dragged on and on. Um, and then you blink your eyes, and one day you'll be an adult with bills and babies, and you blink your eyes again, and, and it's all gone because it goes that fast, so slow when you're a kid and just picks up. And again, we know this, we're living this right now because our youngest little girl, Charlie Kate, turns one in two weeks. And I was talking to Brandon, my husband, about how if we had a dime for every time somebody had said to me here recently, man, time has flown by, or where did the time go? Or time is a thief. It was like, we would be rich and you wouldn't have to work um, because it really has. We blinked and you know, it feels like we had her yesterday and she's almost like a full, you know, whole toddler in the nursery right now. Um, and it, it really does go by fast, which means the moments that we're given here matter that much more when you understand, you know, the value that time actually is. Part of the difficulty um, when I sat down to, again, put this together and, you know, just listen to what the Lord was saying to me, um, about how to steward our time well is that we're not just talking about how to manage our minutes or you know hours and days well. Managing your time, stewarding your time well is actually a message about how to live your life well because your life is compromised or made up of moments and minutes and days and hours and years. And so that's, that's a, big, a big chunk of something to chew and try to, you know, put together what... Um, what does that mean? Like, how do you live your life well? One of my favorite authors paints this beautifully in one of her books. She says, life is a total of minutes spent. She says, I didn't realize that living a radical life for God would one day call forth minute-to-minute faithfulness of me. She said, I imagined that Christianity was lived in the broad strokes and the big moments, the highlight reel, the big game, right? Um, the minutes were just the things that happened in between, She challenges us by saying that if that's all we do is wait for the next big thing, the next big moment, you know, the next birth, the next anniversary, graduation, um, things like that, that what we're doing is missing um, his tender invitation right there in the middle minutes to meet with us and to worship him. She says, giving our lives to God wasn't merely a broad strokes yes for the shining times when his power is tangible and everything's great. She said he, we were made, or he made us, to fall in love in those middle minutes. Um, why is that? Again, because your life will be mostly compromised of the in-between time, right? That's what makes up um, living, driving to work, washing the dishes, cutting the grass, um, preparing supper, changing do- uh, diapers, disciplining your children. This is what most of your life will be made of. And I was thinking... As I prepared and was reading scripture, it's in those moments, those middle minutes or, you know, sometimes messy moments um, that he meets with me that I know that he is with me and he's in me and he's all around me because there's a conscious choice that I have to make um, to worship him in those middle minutes. When we come to church on Sunday, most of you came here with the intent to worship him. You're here because you want to meet with him. You want to hear from him. When you're at home and it's, you know, you're in the thick of it, things are hard, maybe they're not always easy, you actually have to make a choice to put yourself in a a mindset of worship um, and to notice what he's doing in your life in those places too. I started thinking about the word ordainment. You know, usually we talk about pastors being ordained or people or moments, and 
Um, if you look up the definition of ordainment, one of the ways it describes being ordained or you know, something being ordained is uh, being on holy orders. And I loved that because I thought, well, maybe you know, these ordained moments are only for the saints and those closest to him, but maybe they're for us too. Because if you love Jesus, if you've made him the Lord of your life and you worship God, we're all here on holy orders. And that takes place sometimes, you know, the holiest of work, in your home seven days a week, at your job place when you're there, not just the one or not only the one or two days we come here on purpose to worship him. Um, and so my question for you right now is, where does he have you right now? Maybe you're a teacher, an athlete, um, small business owner, big business owner, doctor, dentist, student. Um, where does he have you? And what is he trying to do in your middle moments where you're at now? How does he want to use the minutes in between Sunday and Wednesday when we come to gather? Um, how does he want to use that to draw you closer to him so that he can use you um, to bring much glory to his name? God's word um, advises us to use our time and to manage our middle minutes wisely because he knows there's going to be all kinds of things that try to distract you um, from him and what matters most. All these things that are going to happen, circumstances, again, when things aren't great, you know, or maybe things are really good, still these things are going to be pulling um, at your attention from what truly matters. So what does it tell us in, uh, in the Bible about stewarding our time? We honestly could start in Genesis and read all the way through, and there's so much good stuff, so much advice that God gives to us for how to steward our time well, how to live our lives well, and how to bring honor and glory to his name. Obviously, we don't have the time to uh, do that now, uh, so I just want to hit a couple of um, places where God gives us instruction for how to live our lives, and then we're going to read a story in Scripture and kind of break that down a little more. Um, Psalms 90.12 says, uh, So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Ephesians 4.1-5 says, Live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. Be completely humble, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and in all, excuse me, who is over all and through all and in all. Ephesians 4.20 tells us to throw off our old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. It says, instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Ephesians 5, 8, and 15 tells us to live as children of the light. It says, be careful how you live. Um, don't live as unwise, but be wise, making the most of every opportunity. Don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Be filled with his spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 tells us, always be jo joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Colossians 4, 2 through 6 says, Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everybody. And so you kind of get the picture. We could keep reading, literally just reading scripture, and it's in there. Our instruction for how to live well, how not to waste our lives, and how to be good stewards of our time. Um, and while it gives a ton of stuff in there, 
again, that we could spend time looking at. There's a story in the Bible in Luke that I want to read with you all um, where Jesus talks about somebody getting one thing right. And what I believe as I was reading this is that when we get the one thing right, all of that other stuff rightly falls into place. Being humble, being generous, um, being kind, you know, forgiving, all of those things are um, not an afterthought, but more of a product of the work that he's doing in you when you get the one thing right. Um, so we're going to turn to Luke 10. It's going to be on the screen too, I believe, uh, and read about Mary and Martha. Luke 10:38 through 42 says this. As they continued their travel, Jesus entered a village. A woman by the name of Martha welcomed him and made him feel quite at home. She had a sister, Mary, who sat before the master, hanging on every word that he said. But Martha was pulled away by all she had to do in the kitchen. Later, she stepped in, interrupting them. Master, don't you care that my sister has abandoned the kitchen to me? Tell her to lend me a hand. The master said, Martha, dear Martha, you're fussing far too much and getting yourself worked up over nothing. One thing only is essential, and Mary has chosen it. It's the main course and won't be taken from her. And maybe you've heard similar message to the, messages to this a ton about how the two sisters chose to spend their time. And, you know, typically what we do is we kind of throw Martha to the side. And you don't want to be a Martha. You don't want to get so caught up in, caught up in your serving. Um, but I think there's some stuff that we can learn from her today. And um, so we're going to take a closer look. We think, especially in the Western world, um, you know, that our time is only spent well if we accomplish something. So if there's a product that you can put your hands on, if you can see your work, like the product of it when you're done, that's great, right? You can tell you've done something, you've been somewhere, um, and that that was uh, worth your time, the time you spent trying to accomplish something. And in our society, again, you know, Western civilization really values working nonstop. You know, that's the American dream. If you come here and you work hard, then things will happen for you. And if they're not, then just work harder. Um, you know, the grind, getting after it. And I think it's interesting to note right here that you can actually live counterculturally, which you're, you're called to do as a believer, you know, not to look like the world, but to live um, a life that doesn't just follow the patterns of the world um, by actually taking a break and pausing and taking time to rest and to play um, and to honor the Sabbath, like we're told to in the Bible. You know, if it wasn't important, God wouldn't have set apart a whole day devoted just to rest. Um, and so, again, uh, Mary and Martha, with their brother Lazarus, were actually really good friends of Jesus. And so it's easy to imagine that Martha was probably really excited that, you know, her good friend Jesus was about to come by her house. Um, and, uh, you know, she, she had an idea, a vision in her mind of what her service needed to look like. But what we see happen with Martha is she gets distracted with her serving. Um, Martha didn't do anything wrong working hard for Jesus. That was good. Her trying to serve was good. Her trying to host was good. Her problem was that her service becomes a restless kind of service that leaves her unable to sit at the feet of Jesus, her service becomes her priority rather than the person she's serving, which is Jesus. Um, again, her working and wanting to host well for Jesus and his disciples was not wrong, but if we love Jesus, our service has to start at his feet with Mary, and then we get up and we go with Martha to serve and to work and to do. 
Um, if you believe in Jesus and you've placed your faith in him, scripture tells us um, that good works are going to be a product of your faith in him. But the working should never swamp the believing. Charles Spurgeon said it well when he said, you lose your strength as a worker if you forget your dependence as a believer. And I love that. I was like, man, especially when you work in ministry, and many of you in this room have, you, you know this. If you lose um, that connection to him, if your strength as a worker uh, is coming from yourself, what are you doing? You know, like your dependence on him um, is where it has to come from. And so it's about diligently cultivating that personal communion with Christ and carving out that time to spend with him and to sit at his feet. And it's about not taking on so much service that your time is so occupied and filled with things and stuff that you don't have time to pray um, and to sit and to reflect and to read his word. Uh, Charles Spurgeon also said this. He said, you're doing your soul a serious mischief if you put the whole of your strengths, if you put all of your effort and strength um, into the part of your life that's visible to men uh, and forget the portion of your life which is secret between you and God, that's not good. God wants you. He desires you in the secret place. Martha became distracted again with what the inside of her home looked like and her hosting when really what Jesus cared about was what the inside of her heart looked like. She believed that nothing could be left unprepared and again, she had her own idea of excellence, right? Everything had to be perfect. And I imagine if Jesus said, Haley, I'm coming to your house to visit, I probably would feel the same temptation to leave no corner untouched, you know, to present my very best to him. Um, and I think sometimes, you know, doing what Martha did can be the easier um, thing that the two sisters did because it's easy to be busy. It's easy to find ways to fill your time um, and to find something to do rather than to pause and to sit at the feet of Jesus. And again, this was personally convicting to me because it caused me to think about how often when I come to Jesus, I come with an agenda, um, tons of prayer requests, which he wants me to do. Uh, but I come, you know, with this expectation of what I think that time's supposed to look like rather than sitting literally and just pausing in silence sometimes and letting him um, make that time what he wants to make it. Um, and so when's the last time you sat at the feet of Jesus uh, with no time limit in mind? Like you just, you just came to him and, and laid it out bare, yourself vulnerable in front of him, um, and we're still expectant to meet with him. How many of you came to church this morning just based off of routine and because it's, um, it's the right thing to do? You know, you're supposed to come on Sundays. Or did you come expectant? Did you come excited? You know, Martha was doing that. Martha was doing what was probably routine for her. I'm sure she hosted, you know, lots of times and, and seemed like um, she was a great host. And so that's, you know, she did what any woman would have done and got busy trying to clean or cook or do something for her guests. Um, and the same can be true about church. You know, just because you're physically there doesn't necessarily mean that you're present. Um, just like spending time with your kids or your significant other, it's an intentionality, right? Like you have to be intentional um, in giving your full attention to them. Um, and, you know, you can say you're spending time with them, but are you really? Because you can be there physically and not actually be there presently, like not actually be present um, and engaging with them. Are you giving them your full and undivided attention? Martha was there. It's important to remember she was in the exact same house and some of the same rooms as Mary and Jesus but she wasn't present. 
It's interesting to me also that, you know, as we look at this passage of Scripture, that Martha at one point is pretty consumed with what Mary is doing, or rather what she isn't doing. Um, And you can imagine, you know, she's probably walking through the house mad, and, you know, Martha is consuming her, excuse me, Mary is consuming her thoughts. Um, And while we read, there's absolutely no mention of Mary having a thought about Martha. Why? Because Mary is so consumed with her Savior. It tells us that she's hanging on his every word. Jesus tells Martha um, that only one thing is essential. And, and the thing about Mary going to his feet is she goes and she doesn't care one bit who sees her, which was a really big deal in that day and age because she was a female. Um, you know, she goes to his feet. She's not performing some crazy miracle that she's going to get great recognition for. She doesn't announce what she's doing, so she's got all this attention on her going to the feet of Jesus. She doesn't make the moment about herself at all. It's completely Jesus. She's just taken over by who he is. It tells us that he walks in the room, she sees Jesus, and she's at his feet. And she's hanging on his every word as he consumes every bit of her in her heart. Jesus tells Martha that the one thing is essential. And that one thing looked like a waste of time to Martha. It looked meaningless. It looked like um, Mary was being lazy at the feet of Jesus and not helping host and serve. Um, But Jesus is pleased with what Mary did. He's pleased with the one thing that Mary understands that Martha does not. When we spend our lives and our time serving, um, again, our service has to start at his feet, and our service must be rooted in our love for Jesus. If it's not, we've missed the mark, and you will become tired and aggravated easily with the people around you who are also supposed to be serving uh, Jesus also. His desire, the one thing, is a humble heart, um, an obedient heart that comes to him with childlike dependence. Um, and he wants to be loved by us, right? He wants us to abide in him and he in us. Um, you know, the longer that you um, are a Christian and you walk with God, the easier it becomes to tell the difference between what is right and what is wrong. I think sometimes the challenge as a believer becomes between what is good and what is best. Uh, Martha was not wrong. Martha's service was good, but Mary's devotion was best. Again, it's learning the one thing like Mary to seek his presence, um, to want to be with him, um, being in a close, uh, intimate relationship with him, And like I said in the beginning, it's funny how when we get that one thing right, all of the other things fall rightly into their place where they should be. There's a story about a lady I want to tell you quickly who um, says, you know, I finally reached the end of my years where I've been saying, I'll be so glad when. She says it started as, um, I'll be so glad when they're out of diapers. I'll be so glad when they start school. I'll be so glad when football season is over and you don't have to run their stuff they forget at home to them. Uh, I'll be so glad when we can retire. I'll be so glad when. She goes on to say, don't postpone joy. Find your joy in what is happening today because that is where it lies. The Bible also, while it gives tons of examples and um, advice on how to spend your life well, it also gives us uh, tons of scripture on how not to waste your time and things that... Um, really don't matter to God. Um, in Ephesians 5, 11 through 21, he says, don't waste your time on useless work, mere busy work, the barren pursuits of darkness. In 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 8, he says, don't waste your time um, arguing over foolish ideas and silly myths and legends. Spend your time and your energy 
and the exercises of keeping spiritually fit. And so what I want to say to you, like that lady, is encouraging us not to wait. You know, don't, don't wait to, um, don't continue to postpone joy. What I want to offer to you is this, don't wait to sit at Jesus' feet. Um, don't put it off. Don't wait until you've got the perfect moment, you know, where the amb- ambiance is perfect and there's beautiful worship music and all these things where the mood is just perfect. Don't wait. Meet with him now. Meet with him in the middle minutes. Um, don't wait to make things right uh, with people that you have trouble with. We know that you know, life is a gift and our days are numbered. The Bible tells us that. Um, don't wait to clean yourself up and uh, get things right before you come to church and before you come to his feet. He wants you now. He says, come to me now. Don't wait to worship just on Sunday and Wednesdays. He wants all those in-between moments too. He wants all of your life and your days and your moments. Wisdom, um, walking in wisdom, is allowing the Holy Spirit to untangle um, bitterness and hatred and anger and resentment from your heart and your soul and allowing him to clear out the weeds so that he can plant and cultivate the things that he wants in you, um, like patience and kindness and peace and gentleness. Don't wait until your time is up to start walking in wisdom. Ask him to help you grow in wisdom and understanding. Um, don't wait until you've, until you've spent every single moment of time given to you um, to start living well and to start living right in the eyes of God. It's not too late, ever, and you're never too far gone or too far um, removed from who he is and where he is. Um, it makes me think of uh, the prodigal son, you know, who we know 100% was wasting his time and doing things that um, were not pleasing to God. But what never changed is that his dad, his father, always was waiting for him with open arms, you know, hoping and praying that he would see his son come back one day and that he would step into, um, you know, living a life worthy of the calling that we, we were given and that he was given. Don't wait. Um, time is too precious of a gift to waste, and you're not promised tomorrow. Again, Scripture tells us life is like a vapor. It's here today and gone tomorrow. And maybe you're sitting here today and, you're not sure, you're like, I don't know Jesus, or you know, I haven't made him Lord over my life, or maybe you just think you have all the time in the world um, to get things right with you know, him and with the people around you. And what I want to say to you is, don't put it off. This is a timely matter. This is a timely matter. Uh, he says, come to me, not when you're perfect, not when you've cleaned yourself up, not once you've been baptized, um, you know, at the end of Jesus' life, there's a famous conversation um, where Jesus is talking to the two thieves beside him, and the one almost kind of mocks him and says, um, so you're the Messiah? Like, prove it. You know, save us and save yourself, um, too, while you're at it. And the other criminal on the other side of Jesus says, don't you fear God even when you've, you're sentenced to die? Like, we're at the end. They've got no time left, and you still don't fear him? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. And then Jesus says, excuse me, then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replies, I assure you today that you will be with me in paradise. And what I want to say to you all also is this, we're the criminal, right? Like we are the ones sentenced to death because the Bible tells us the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Don't waste your life. No thing or person or amount of money or status can or will ever satisfy the deepest longings of your soul. Only one thing will, and only one person can, and it's found at the feet of Jesus. We're going to pray. God, thank you so much for this day, Lord. Thank you for each person here. 
God, I pray that you would um, just go with us, Lord. Remind us that you're with us in the middle moments. Um, remind us that our big moments, um, the ones everybody see, matter just as much as the moments that feel insignificant, God, when we, we maybe don't feel seen, um, that you see us, that you're with us, Lord, that you're with us when we're changing diapers, you're with us when we're cutting grass, you're with us um, when we're on our way to church, you're with us now. God, I pray that we would never take for granted your spirit. Um, we would never take for granted the, the nearness and the closeness that that brings and the gift that it is um, that you sent the Holy Spirit to live in us, Lord. God, I pray that you would be with each person in this room um, as they leave from here today, God. Um, keep you and yourself at the forefront of our mind, um, and may everything we do be honoring and pleasing to you, God. In your name we pray. Amen.